Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. Hey, Ann Friedman. Love that I just quickly swallowed a mouthful of popcorn in order to do this <laughs> intro. So, you know, we've really gotten casual about podcasting. I know. There's popcorn, water on the table, or snacks. Just, yeah. Just snacks. It's cool. Um, I'm excited about today's show. Tell me. I spoke to Nora McInerney, the author of No Happy Endings and the host of Terrible Things for Asking, a podcast that I really, really, really love. She's on this week to talk about a lot of things that are central to her work. So mostly uh, grief, Mm -hmm. Um, dealing with grief and being a resilient person and moving on and just living in a world where everything is really fucking hard. Like truly, truly, truly one of my favorite conversations. And I've been thinking a lot about, you know, how joy and tragedy are, they're just like a part of life. You will be so lucky to be joyful in your life, but you will 100% experience tragedy. Oh, Zen master, I mean, not too so. Let me tell you. (laughs) And just like, you know, it's like life is, life is really hard these days, or at least like for me it is. And so having somebody who, thinks about these things a lot and has been like really generous about talking about their own grief and their own experience with, you know, losing people that are close to them and still having to put one foot in front of the other every day. Like that's something that I really appreciate and making some space to actually talk about grief. It really confounds me how little we talk about it when tragedy is literally like it's happening right now. So right. Every day is the worst day of someone's life. You know, and she write that book. I love it. <laughs> but it's so, it's true. And it is truly shocking that we just, like, we don't talk about it enough. And then the people who do talk about it then kind of become avatars for always talking about, about heart. Like, they don't get to be three-dimensional people. think you're gonna enjoy it i can't wait another midwest diva you know another midwest diva with uh with great hair so Mm. here's nora i'm nora mcinerney i am a podcast host which is like the the 2019 version of saying you're a blogger (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, rude. Who isn't a podcast? Rude, Nora. Sorry, I'm Nora McInerney. I'm severely depressed right now, but I'm on my way up. I can tell I'm like, you know, hitting whatever the opposite of a crest is where you're like, okay, now I know. Now I know I'm on the upswing, but still, I'm a, I'm a podcast host. I have a podcast with American Public Media called Terrible Thanks for Asking, and I'm the author of some funny, sad books that basically all come down to the fact that I am um, a widow. I was widowed at 31, and that is a kind of a a strangely um, central part of my identity, even though, like, I would have preferred to just be known as, like, Nora's really tall. You are very tall, Nora. You're very tall. I'm very tall. And your hair is beautiful. I wish those were the things you were known for. Same. Uh, But... But I like I you know this is this is this is my new this is my new version so 
Well, I have so many questions. Talk to me about being depressed today. How's that going? God, uh, I mean, it's been kind of a while and I'm learning to sort of just, okay, basically what I think it all, it the root of it currently is just a lot of anxiety about um, making things. I don't know if you are familiar with being a woman. Um, no, never heard of, never you know, heard of that condition. Never, never heard, never heard of that condition. It's a very... It's it's rare, but when you are um, uh, a, a woman who makes things that, uh, you know, are important to you and then you put them out into the world, it does come with, you know, a certain amount of anxiety that I think mostly I I can kind of compartmentalize. But, um, but often I can't uh, because it's sort of all tied in with uh, the thing you're making is tied in with your income and tied within in with your identity and in obvious ways that I, I've seen you address on social media also sort of tied in with your your likability. And the internet giveth us a platform and it taketh away um, some some really basic parts of our humanity, which is just basically letting people kind of like live and let live and not being subjected to like everybody's opinion about your life. And sometimes currently right before you called, I was on Craigslist looking up campers and wondering if I could relocate a family of six to a forest and live in a camper. It's not looking great, but um, yeah, you need a lot of space. I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm, I imagine that campers add like 50% to anxiety and depression. So I'm think, just going to say, you know, like, I'm not a medical doctor, but I'm going to say that this is not a great idea. It's not a great idea. It's But just looking, I think, kind of helps. Just looking at a different version of your life is kind of a form of, of therapy for me. And so right now, I just also then feel like depressed that I'm like not grateful enough or appreciative enough of the things that I'm able to do. If you would have told me five years ago, oh, you'll have written, you know, three books and you'll have four kids, I would have been like, oh, yes, then I'll be happy. But there is kind of a, a central conflict in this story, which is the way that I got here, which is really hard. And it's really hard to to live with that sort of both and thinking therapy words for you, where I do have um, this, I get, I have work that I really love doing and I have a family that I love. And also to get here, I lost my husband Aaron and I lost the the second baby that we were hoping to have and I lost my dad all at once and now I'm here and it wasn't a trade one for the other or you know three for four but um but I am here in this really happy place but it was a complicated way to get here and that's really hard to I think sometimes manage day to day will you tell me about your new book no happy endings what is it about? Why did you write it? Why is it so good? I wrote this book. Um, okay, so the first book, God, I'm so good at elevator pitches. If you want to ride the Willy Wonka elevator <laughs> for nine years. So I wrote this book in the aftermath of losing my first husband, which is also what my first book is about. My first book was written in the six months after Aaron died. And when I say that now, it sounds absolutely bonkers, but I'm so glad I wrote it because being close to something is a perspective and being in something is a perspective. And it is a, that is a chaotic book and one 
that I will always love because I could have written it from a nice safe distance. I could have written it, you know, 10 years later and had a really good sense of what it all meant, but I didn't. And I still don't have a sense of what it all meant. But since Aaron died, um, I did meet another man and I got pregnant and fell in love and we got married in that order. And um, the perception that I get and that I've gotten ever since that first book came out and as people have followed you know, me on Instagram or come to book events is, I wish that I was doing better with this hard thing I went through. I wish that I was doing more like you. And that is so devastating to me because am I doing well? And what does it mean to do well? And why do we think that these formative life events, these really, really difficult things are things that we are meant to move on from and not move forward with? When I met Matthew, like the overwhelming response from people was essentially like, oh my God, thank God we don't have to worry about her anymore. Like, what a happy ending. He's divorced and has two kids. She's widowed and has one kid. Now they're going to have another baby. They got a house in the suburbs. Like, what could be better? Well, the fact is, I do have a pretty amazing family. Like, honestly, all the kids are the best. Um, they're all healthy and and kind. And Matthew is a wonderful human. And he's so different from Aaron. But they're sort of like complementary forces in my life. But I'm not I'm not done with Aaron just because I I met Matthew. And the fact is that all of these children have come from a broken place. And so it's not an ending. It's not an ending for any of us. Like Matthew's first wife lives close to us. Like we we see her at soccer games and Aaron and his family are still a part of our life. Mm-hmm. And these are all the, these are all experiences that we we carry with us forever. So I don't want people to look at my life and see and see it as a destination. Right. It's like people just think that, um, you know, it's like you close one chapter, you move on to the next. And that's not how grief works. <laughs> you know, like it's, no, just, it's not how life works. It's like it's it is just not how it works. No, like, I mean, you right. You beat cancer. Like, good thing you never think about cancer ever again because you beat it. Because you're a champ. Because you're a warrior. I, like, I didn't wake up no. crying about it this morning at all. That's oh, not that's not what no, happened. It's, it's so over. It's so, in the words of Hillary Duff, it's so yesterday, and you have just not even thought about it. Anybody who has actually experienced something in life knows that, knows that that is a part of you, and that they have been made to feel as if it shouldn't be, and as if they should have left it behind them. And that is a huge tension. It is a huge thing that everybody explores in therapy because it isn't true. And so this is this is a book with all of all of those contradictions in it. It is a book about me being really happy and grateful and also deeply, deeply grief stricken, especially in a time when I felt truly like legally obligated to be nothing but happy and nothing but grateful. You know, anytime you try to act a way that you think other people think that you should feel is a real recipe for success. I have to tell you, it's just <laughs> yeah. any mental health professional <laughs> will be like, ask everyone else how you should feel and then feel that way. My therapist is like screaming. What helped you get out, like sh- really shake that feeling off though? Because I just, I think that there are so few models for how 
you are supposed to experience grief. Like I remember when my mom died and like I didn't understand why the whole world like didn't stop to cater to me. You know, at some point I still kind of don't understand it in regard to, to that 100%. Specific, to that specific thing. But I, I really think that the thing that probably messed me up more than anything else is that we don't talk about loss and grief as a thing that you are continuously supposed to experience, right? It's like every culture has their own like grieving ritual and then and then you're supposed to come back into the real world. It's like you're a leper for a while right. and then you come back into the real world and then now your life is fine. And so I'm wondering like how how you shake those feelings away. Well, an American culture, which I don't even know if you can call it that, but it's like the uh, funeral industrial complex has boiled that down to a like a five day window where someone dies and then you're really busy planning a funeral. Like this is like of the non-denominational, a religious sort of variety. And then everybody comes to like maybe a wake and a funeral and then and then it's over. And even if you ha- you belong to a faith system or a culture that has a longer grief support or grief ritual, like you still are forced to fit that into your company's HR policy, which I hope every listener reviews because it's garbage. Legally, I, I'm pretty sure that when Aaron died, I had like three days of leave um, wow. for for a spouse. And I mean, I obviously took more than that. Well, I quit my job, but um, <laughs> it's like, I'll take all the days. You're like, I'm going to take every single day that is available to yeah, me, but it's, which is every day. It's 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 so hard. To, it's hard to shake that if truly the rest of the world and anyone who's, if you're like the last time you were at a funeral and like you're in this really intense moment and then you leave and you're in a car or you're on the train and you look around you and you're like, how are all these people just living their lives? Like, how do they not know what just happened? And I I don't know that I've shaken that feeling. I am still currently shaking that feeling. And therapy helped and writing the book helped. And this job of mine, these these jobs of mine, where, you know, I have terrible things for asking and I have Still Kickin', which is a nonprofit I started when Aaron died and we just give no strings attached, financial grants to people who are going through something hard. Um, I'm, I really have surrounded myself all day with people who are going through something difficult. And so I am reminded every day, it's not over for them. It's not over for me. And we are all walking around wounded and trying to hide it. I mean, I think that the thing that I appreciate about you so much and that the, the, amount like the many 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 people who listen to you is that you are so real about um you know talking about all sorts of emotional catastrophes and <laughs> and really being um you know not sugarcoating any of it and um feeling all of your feelings and really talking about the fact that painful experiences are inevitable right it's it's just a thing that every everybody will face, even though it seems like some people's lives are very charmed. I will say like you and I are not people with charmed lives. So <laughs> it it just, it seems to me that, you know, part of the answer and part of just like working through all of this is talking about it more. Oh, absolutely. And I, I do think, you know, I, I like pain and suffering are universal and also so individual. So Anybody that you think has a charmed life could tell you 
uh, a story that you have no idea about. I think if somebody follows you immediately on Instagram, they think, "Ooh, wow, look at this. This lady has it all. Look at all these followers and this popular podcast and she's got a book deal. And, and I get that too. And I'm like, but wait, there's more. And there's always more. And you and I have not filled up our punch cards, nor has anybody else. It's just uh, this is life doing what life does, which is force us to suffer. And then in between these really tragic moments is is the good stuff, which is really anytime something is not actively falling apart, I have learned to acknowledge like that is actually kind of the best part of life <laughs> is, is, in, is when things are like, if I can live at like a, a five, a five to a six, then then I'm actually having a pretty good life. Oh, my God. I do not need exquisite happiness. I need for things to just not be awful. I mean, that is my exquisite happiness, if I'm uh, if I'm yeah. honest. I really want to go back to this thing, though, that you talked about, you know, like people peering into your social media or into your life and feeling that everything is okay. Doesn't that drive you, like, a little bit up the wall, though? Because the line... The, the like the tension is there right it's like it's that people peer in because they want to see how you are living but also if you are constantly falling apart in front of them um very publicly that's not something that keeps them around right that's not palatable uh that's not palatable at all and i think the strange thing too that i've witnessed is that um i i did not set out and I have like a modest what I consider because you know internet fame has has several levels right so I'm a person with like maybe 50,000 Instagram followers which to some people is like a lot and to some people is like huh call me and you have like you know a million <laughs> um but that was never like that's not a goal of mine I I really really sort of struggle with this because it is um in some ways it's been such a cool thing and such a cool way to connect with people. And in some ways, I can see that it is an absolute poison for our society and particularly for women. And there's so much that is encouraging slash really pressuring women. And it comes from other women who this is their business model is to make you feel like you should be doing more and that they can show you how to do it. And why am I begrudging women like what men have been doing forever, which is basically scamming? Um, basically. But I, I, it really is. And I'm like, I, I guess I shouldn't begrudge you except that you are then perpetuating this feeling among women like that. It's not enough to just, you know, have a job and have friends and be reasonably happy and do your own thing. No, you have to hustle. You have to have a side hustle. You have a night hustle, a, an in-between hustle. You have to do more and be more. And honestly, you don't. Like, you don't have to write a book to be a writer. You don't have to, like, have a podcast to have something to say. And you don't have to have a side hustle. Like, whatever you are doing is probably enough. And if you want to do something else, you can do it just for you and, and not for Instagram. Well, that's a word if I've ever heard one.
what does the world look like if we make room and space for the fact that it it is complicated and that it is you know that you can have both big and small devastations every single day yeah and that it's not it's not limited to I kind of I kind of almost set aside days where I was like, oh, I will definitely be sad on Aaron's birthday. I will definitely be sad on Aaron's death anniversary. There's no way for me to set aside the kind of moments where I see somebody who I swear it's Aaron and I'm I'm driving down the street and I see him and he's walking down the street and he's like he's still he's still 35 and he's riding a scooter and and it's him and I just think like, oh, there he is. Like, how great. And I don't think like, oh, no. And then and then the realization hits and I realize, oh, no, that's not him. That's just somebody else who looks a lot like him. Like, there's no, there's no way to plan for those things. And there's no way to plan for watching people that he worked with get promotions that maybe he would have gotten if he would have lived. And there's no way of planning for, I mean, this man was... Truly, Aaron was so funny and so into celebrity gossip. I went to Who Weekly Live and um, shout out to all our fellow hooligans. Love and it. I brought Matthew and Matthew's never heard of a celebrity, but he laughed a lot because um, Bobby and Lindsay are so funny. But I kept thinking like Aaron would have made a podcast like this. He was so funny and um, he reminds me of a he, of a straight Bobby finger. Wow, and, what, uh, what, a, what a world. <laughs> What a world. And there's no way to plan for those kinds of things, right? To be like, or or you see something and you're like, oh my God, that this woman is like being my mom right now. Yeah, it's just, you just, yeah, you're right. You just like cannot, you can't plan it. For me, a lot of, I never, the, the death anniversaries are not that big of a deal anymore, I think. Mm. It's been 12 years, 13 years. I don't, like, that's how much, that's how long it's been that I don't yeah. quite remember the year anymore. And so the things that used to be triggers are no longer triggers. Like, that's fine. But, yeah, it's like something wild will happen in the news. And I'll be like, well, you know, like, wish we could have shared that. Or one of my friends will be a complete see you next Tuesday to their mom. And then all I know is that now I'm always on the side of the moms. Like, that's the friend that I've turned into. (laughs) If you are having a conflict with your mother, I am squarely on your mother's side every single time. (laughs) Uh, Madge appreciates that. You know, it's just like, it's just like dumb. It's dumb stuff like that. And obviously, like, time makes it more complicated and longer. And and so much of how we deal with, um, you know, with, like, people that are grieving is to provide them support in, like, the, you know, the first 96 hours. And the truth is, like, that's, that's actually not when you need people the most. And that's not when you need your pain acknowledged the most. But I also think that, like, people, like, you surprise yourself. Like, it was interesting to hear you say that you are, you know, you, like, widow is your primary identity. I'm like, you know, my, like, my mom died as my number one identity. And I think sometimes it makes people really uncomfortable how much I talk about it. But I secretly love talking Good. about it. I secretly love talking about it and making them very uncomfortable. So it's also fine. Yeah. And also, because one day... That will be their identifier. Oh, are you kidding me? Will, Ugh, it's, it's kind like this is so morbid, but it's actually like that's the best part. Yeah, it's and honestly, it's like you are giving them a kindness that they may not recognize yet. But I think about that all the time. I'm like, hey, I'm just showing you that um, I'm basically giving you an instruction manual for when it happens to you because it will. <sighs> like what? Um, it's so it's so funny, though. It's so funny because obviously everybody copes with. Everybody copes with their loss differently. 
And we obviously cope with it by telling very morbid stories and the gallows humor is real. I don't know how you how you teach that to people at scale. Like, hey, your life Oof. is going to be hard. You might as well you might as well have like one good last laugh about it because everything is going to fall God, apart. We gotta someday. figure out how to scale it and monetize it. Right. Okay. Scale it, That's monetize it. That'll be the out. Instagram. It's like, hello, big disasters, Instagram. Like, please follow us. Please. It's yeah, I I don't know either because I grew up Catholic sort of and they didn't teach me anything. Like they taught me nothing. No no offense, mom and any Catholics who are listening, but like that. Did I'm not on your help mom's me. side. They taught you everything, like, okay? <laughs> you just were not paying attention. <laughs> I honestly, to be honest, I remember I said to one of uh my friends who went to grade school with me, I was like, I mean, I don't even think we opened a Bible in school. And she was like, yes, we did, idiot. You just weren't paying attention. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, I never opened a Bible. So Yeah, I'm um, on your mom's side here. I guess I was sick that day. Yeah. but that, Catholics yeah, that are very good about teaching suffering, okay? You were not paying attention. They're, yeah, I think I just wasn't paying attention. I just wasn't paying attention. But there is a huge part of this. I mentioned earlier, you know, what your HR um HR policy is. And that obviously only applies if you are a salaried employee. But I mean, what happens if you are self-employed or if you're hourly or there's so many repercussions? And my friend who um, started the Hot Young Widows Club with me, which is a different thing that I do. <laughs> I've got a lot, of, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that doesn't make me money going on. But we have this uh, group called the Hot Young Widows Club. And Mo is uh, like she does hair and her husband died by suicide. And two days later, she was cutting hair because if she doesn't cut hair, she doesn't get paid. And if she doesn't get paid, who pays the mortgage? Mm -hmm. And like that is the reality of grief is that so many people are walking around traumatized and without a way to process it and without access to mental health care. And even if it were affordable, like when would you go? When would you go if you are an only parent and your work schedule is grueling and you can't get in for an appointment at 11 a.m. across town? So it's so complicated. And the more you experience it, the more you realize like, oh, there are so many reasons why so many of us are so hurt for so long. And it's not just that we have not like washed our face and pulled our bootstraps up and gotten over it. It's that there are big, big barriers to to this. And we do not have any more like a real like sort of sense of of a real community that will really, really, really hold you up. Like that is that is a very, very, very rare thing. And this is coming from like a middle class white lady in the Midwest who like I got to move back in with my mom. That was made available to me. And that is not available for everybody. And so I basically had, I did have another grown-up to help me, but my mom was also grief-stricken and I love her so much. And she there was only so much she could do too. It's just a lot. And so if you are a person who has gone through something really difficult and you're like, oh, why am I not doing better at this? Uh, because it's hard. Because it's hard. And sometimes hard things are just hard. And maybe there's a silver lining, but uh, it's not your job to find it. That's not like your number one priority right now is to like get to the sunny side of the street. It's to just like hold on through this monsoon, like grab into something solid, whatever you can and get through it. And if you are a person who is adjacent to a person who has gone through something really difficult, like hold on too, because it is going to be a while. And they are 
not fine. Oh, it's it's going to be a while. It's probably going to be your your whole life. I think, you know, there's just this yeah. there's just this idea and it's I think in America it's so specific this way that you're supposed to just get over stuff really quickly and when you get over it it's supposed to be you're supposed to always find a silver lining. There's some sort of like victorious narrative that you give you know like you you beat cancer you get over your grief you we're always just like warriors for something and you, you remarry like oh right God, and it's so great awful it's just it's so awful it's like you know maybe we should learn to sit with suffering a little bit like you should learn to just mm. sit with it a lot of us are it's like if you're listening to this on a podcast you probably have a lot more privilege than other people who are suffering around the world um, you know, mm-hmm. not to make this some sort of like privilege Olympics, but I do think that suffering gives you... But like you, I win. I do you know, win. I, I mean, get the gold. So I don't know how to tell you this. Uh, I win. I win. If we're playing <laughs> if we're playing this game. Or rather like I lose. So you win. You're right. But you know what I mean? It's like sitting with sitting with suffering is... I'm not saying that it's good, but it gives you a little bit of perspective about what is going on in... Like what is going on in your world and what is going on in the world. I wish that that's something that was a value and a virtue that we were taught, you know, is to just be like, okay, things are really hard and you're going to have to learn to be a resilient person. You're going to have to learn to be somebody who understands suffering, who is empathetic to it. And instead, all we're taught is to is to shut down the terrible feeling as soon as it happens. It's like you're supposed to move on very quickly. And and oh, that's yeah. its own sickness. And that also contributes to this, just this general unease about everything. Mm-hmm. And that you should try to, uh, have you read Bright Sided by Barbara Ehrenreich? No. Should I? It's, should I, should oh I add another God. book to the pile? You should. You should. It's so good. Uh, and she wrote it after her breast cancer diagnosis when she's basically inundated with, you know, positive thinking and, and, uh, and, and all of that language that is definitely very, very tied to to a cancer diagnosis. But as people, our reflex is to try to fix it for somebody. And not everything is fixable. And it is also not in your ability to fix everything. And so sitting with someone else's discomfort is usually sitting with your own discomfort. And trying to override that reflex to say, I know what you mean, or to say, have you done this? Or to sort of like rush to fill a silence. And I know our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters have a, a grief tradition called Shiva, and you sit quietly with the bereaved, and they talk if they want to talk. And you talk about whatever they want to talk about. And I'm sure I'm oversimplifying it, but the idea of just being present for somebody and letting them set the tone for it is really powerful. And it it does not have to just be limited to somebody's death, but to, I mean, to a friend who is going through a divorce, to a friend who is struggling to conceive. There are so many ways for life to kick you in the neck. You would be surprised. You won't be surprised. It will never stop. But what you need is not for somebody to try to fix it for you, but you do need, you need somebody there in the suffering with you. Anybody can be with you in your happiness. That is a very light lift as far as friendship goes. So I have a social circle that looks way different now than it did when Aaron was alive. 
like very different. And that hurt me for a long time. And I now see like a part of that was me. A part of that was that I just could not say to people how much it hurt and and what I needed from them because I really didn't know. And I didn't know how to not be okay because I was a person who could get through anything. And I had spent three years of Aaron being sick, just taking care of it and taking care of him and trying not to be somebody's sad story. Nobody wants your pity. And if you've gotten pity, you know it's gross. It is gross. Like pity is the opposite of empathy. And it is very easy to feel bad for somebody and it's harder to feel with somebody. I mean, this is making me feel a lot of things. I think, you know, I think that you're right. The central tension, I think, that is there, especially for like for friends that are going through this kind of stuff, especially when we're all young and dumb, um, because that's also, you know, that's that's also like that's also part of our stories is that we're like 20 something and 30 something. And the thing with friends is so real because like a lot of people just want to fix things. The minute that you voice some sort of discomfort or you're unhappy, their tendency is to fix things. And the thing when, you know, when somebody dies, uh, you can't, there's nothing to fix. Like, we're just going to have to sit here and be very uncomfortable and be very upset about it. There is truly nothing to fix. Like, the worst has happened. And, you know, and also just to go back to that thing that you, you know, that you were talking about with the, with the bright sided book and the, which um, I'm going to put on my list. But that it it really made me think about is that part of what is so gross about this like positive thinking narrative is that the underbelly of it is saying that like whenever anything bad happens to you, that it's your fault. Ding, ding, ding. Like if you can't think your (laughs) way out of all of it. And that is all, you know, I was like, talk about like just like bullshit. And that adds more to like, you know, to the pity that you feel from other people. It adds more to your like inadequacy about voicing your own needs and your wants when you are going through something uncomfortable and it's all so gross it's so gross it is so gross to tell people that you know they're like someone dying or they're like being ill or even like a relationship failing it's like it's not your fault it's like life happens yeah exactly and these are these are not um exceptions to the rule like these are the rule which is that Every single person you know is going to die and every single person you know is going to suffer and so will you and we do not get to choose when it happens or how it happens. Uh, Otherwise, I would have chosen much lighter things for sure. (laughs) I choose. I'm lazy. I would have been like, um, I guess I would lose maybe a finger. Uh, You're like, that's what I can can contribute to the cause. Really a finger? Yeah. I don't know. I'm like too vain to lose a finger, I think. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not even a finger. Maybe like part of an ear because I could wear my hair down. Not that's even, how. That's not even. I would do not, like a tiny bald spot, maybe that I could cover up. Maybe. I can't afford a bald spot. I can't. Maybe. I've I've maybe. got I've got real like fine like baby hair. Bald spot would basically just be my whole head. You could so, wear a wig. You could um, wear a wig. It's you know everybody has their own. Everybody so has good. their own suffering. How much? How much of your brain do you think like brain power is spent like thinking about death? Um, I mean, it's kind of like always there in the background, but honestly, not in a morbid way. I do think um, that it, to explore some cliches here that love like, a cliche. Tell of, me, love a cliche. Yeah, like my fear of death is really um, 
is gone. I, I do not fear dying at all. I watched my dad die. I watched Aaron die. And, like, I just had real, like, uh, realization moments where, you know, if it were a movie, like, you would you would zoom in on my pupil and, like, inside would be the whole universe. And I would, <laughs> like, I just get it. I'm like, oh, my God, it all makes sense. And then shoop, it's over. That's how fast it happened and how intense it was. And I was like, oh, I'm okay. He's okay. We're okay. And then, the, you know, obviously the shock the shock wears off, and then you do feel pain. But for uh, for a long time, but for uh, that brief moment, I was like, I get it. Like I get it, and I'm no longer afraid of dying. I'm no longer afraid of it. And I was born afraid of dying. I was oh my God, just me too. Like, it's all I thought about as a kid. Oh, my every action yes. was driven by how afraid I was of dying. And now I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, and I'm like, you know what? It'll be fine. I'm I'm still afraid of suffering. I have to say, you know, I, I'm watching Aaron die slowly of brain cancer. I thought. If I have brain cancer, I will move to a state that has uh, right to die legislation, and I will decide when I'm when I'm done doing this, uh, because it was it's it's not a good death. It's not a peaceful death. It's a violent, mm-hmm. horrible death, and that is something that I think about all the time. Um, a part of me is always aware of that, of the potential for suffering among the people that I love, but. I'm not afraid of my own death. I know that really death is hard for the people who survive it. <laughs> like that's who that's who it's hard on. Um, and I do want to raise kids who are not afraid of what will become of them without me or without their dad. And I have one kid, you know, who who has a who has a dead dad. And that is something that we honestly we talk about Aaron every day. And so I do think that that's that's helpful for all of the kids you know the big kids they never met Aaron obviously <laughs> um but they know him mm-hmm. like they know stories about him from high school that I've told they know his favorite color they can tell you the ways that he used to make fun of me that I really miss and now they do and so I hope that that is a comfort to them in some way that Talking about somebody's death does not need to be, you know, morose and does not need to be or talking about a dead person, I should say, because the the person you love who is dead is so much more than their death, is so much more than the way that they died. And I want to be able to tell you that Aaron would have started Who Weekly. No offense, Bobby and Lindsay. I want to be able to tell you about, you know, our wedding without you being like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Oh, like, when will she stop talking about this? Like, I want that. I want to be able to hear about your mom. Like, that's that's the kind of that's the kind of world I want. And that's the kind of kids I want to raise. I want Ralph to be able to say, like, oh, yeah, you know, one of my dads is dead. One of my dads is shorter than his driver's license says. (laughs) No need to air out family business on the podcast, Nora. (laughs) Do you do you have an ideal scenario for what you want your funeral to be? Oh, okay. So first of all, I do. Oh, I have another book recommendation for the audience. Have you read From Here to Eternity? No. Thank you for telling the entire audience that I don't read books. Thank you for coming on my show and <laughs> oh, you making are, me sound you are the most like an illiterate you are the person. Most, <laughs> you're the most well-read person uh, that I've ever met. Truly, besides my dead dad, but um, you know he only read dead white people, so. 
Was he even that well-read? I don't know. More family drama on the next episode (laughs) of Talking Shit About Dead People. Um, But it's a book by Caitlin Doty, who's a mortician in L.A. and advocates for natural burial and, you know, against all of the the sort of, like, death industry stuff. And it was really beautiful. And I was like, oh, my God, there's just so much beautiful ritual from around the world, but I do want to be cremated. I would like life-size cutouts of myself from various life phases uh, that can, <laughs> that can be around uh, for people to pose with slash keep in their homes afterward. That was an idea that was actually Aaron's, but we couldn't pull it off, which uh, I feel bad about. Sorry, Aaron. Um, and I loved Aaron's funeral, and we had his favorite desserts, and we had too much alcohol, I will say. And it was at night. It was like an evening, evening event, and we had music, and we had people talk. That That's what I want. I want there to be some ritual, although nothing, there's really nothing from the Christian tradition that, that really resonates with me funeral-wise. So I still have some funeral planning to do. So that's a good reminder. Okay. Let's let's work on our yeah. let's work on our funeral planning. It's all I think about. I don't um I'm like not big into my birthday. And I don't like like my my nightmare my nightmare, my actual nightmare is somebody throwing me a surprise birthday party. Like oh, that's my, my God. nightmare. Yes. Um <laughs> it one time it almost happened. Like this person almost threw a party and then my very close friends were like, You're they're like, Amina will hate this. She didn't get it. She was a newish friend. She didn't get it. And then finally they had to tell me so I would break it to her. I was like, listen, you cannot throw this party for me. All of this to say that like my dream is a surprise funeral while I'm alive. Because (laughs) I'm saying it now so that so that my friends who are listening will really take this to heart sometime in the next three decades. I would really appreciate this party. Because the thing, it's, you know. Oh, I love that. I brag all of the time on the show about how I don't have FOMO. And the truth is that the only thing I have, I will ever have FOMO about is my own funeral. Because that sounds like my, it's like, it's like my nightmare scenario of a party. All of my friends from like all of the parts of my life, like meeting unsupervised and talking about me. I don't think so. That's, (laughs) that's bananas. And so, so I think all of my obsession with funeral planning is really that I was like, you're an anal retentive asshole like me and you plan out like every single part of this, then, um, oh, that's so smart. It's almost like you're there. It's so smart. I I knew of a person who did attend, like they had a pre-funeral that they attended, and I thought that was really sweet. God, that's such a good idea. That's a really good idea. Yeah, you don't get to attend your own funeral. And honestly, you know, a lot of the stuff that happens, if you've ever planned a funeral with a family, you're like, I mean, is this what the person wanted? I hope it is. Uh, I don't know. And then you're doing things that you're like, I think they would really hate this. But so much of it is for the living people. And that's kind of BS. So I know. Funerals for the living people. And also, you know, like, I'm like, I have not had a wedding. So, like, I don't know what it's like to just have people buy you gifts and toast you. So I think that the closest I will get to that is my own amazing funeral. And uh, I'd like to know, I'd like to know what the speeches are. Oh, Yes. Oh, I agree. I also do think that we as a society should probably like more embrace registries for uh, things beyond just a wedding, especially because so many people are getting married later when they already have the resources to buy their own GD dishes. I know. I know. I was invited to like a very uh, to like somebody who was getting remarried also who was like very wealthy 
and I couldn't believe that they had ice cream dishes on their registry and I let them know about it. It's like, I'm sorry. Good. You're not allowed to ask for this. That is ridiculous. No. <laughs> this is a second like, wedding. You have a lot of money. Yeah. I didn't have a wedding registry. I think the first time Aaron and I had one on Amazon and he put video games on it oh, that's and genius. snowshoes. That's genius. That's actually genius. <laughs> yes. You should ask for what you want. But I do agree with you that like a small part of this figuring out this puzzle is celebrating things that are not just like your the dumb like accomplishments that you're supposed to have like weddings. Like I always say that getting married is not an accomplishment. Um, it is not an accomplishment. Neither is getting engaged. No. I, I, and that's very I nice. I completely agree. It's very nice. But I think that if we made it a normal part of life to celebrate and to grieve like big and small things and to put everything into context, you know, I want to mm-hmm. see wedding like energy go into funerals and go into, mm. um, you know, like helping your friends who are ill or dealing with people who are, you know, like facing uh, really bad diagnoses or people who are going through divorces. Let's keep that same energy throughout all of these life milestones. And then we don't make people feel like shit when life actually happens. Death is a normal part of life. Like divorce is a normal part of life. This is all normal. And, you know, not to conflate. Losing a job. Losing it. Do you know how many people message me and they're like, I lost a job and I feel like a loser and like my life is over. Talk about a registry. That's who we should have registries for. Like people getting laid off from jobs. Like, are you serious? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. This is also a good idea. So let's, let's bookmark all these really great ideas. Let's monetize (laughs) all of this in the future. It all sounds so scary and terrifying, but isn't this like what life is made of? Like people were doing this before us, just like having kids and then figuring it out later. Yes, exactly. And also, my dad was a huge advocate for not trying to plan out your life. Uh, And he was very much uh, annoyed by people saying things like, oh, like, you know, we're not, we're just not quite at that stage yet. He's like, when do you think you'll be at a stage when you're ready to do anything? Like, you just have to do stuff. Uh, He also coined the very uplifting phrase, nobody gives a shit about what you were going to do, (laughs) so stop talking and do it. (laughs) Oh, oh my God. That that cured my depression this morning. Right. It's like no one gives a shit. Like, oh, you were going to do something? No, just do the thing. And I do think that did come in handy. I married Aaron when he had a brain tumor. A month after his brain surgery, we were married. Like the scar was still crusty and we got married. And I, you know, accidentally got pregnant with Matthew. (laughs) Sorry, kids. Uh, (laughs) As we listen to this episode (laughs) as a family. You know, was it was it the time to have a baby? Turns out, like, who cares? <laughs> like, and that that is uh it it all it all works out or it doesn't. I don't know. Just stay just tuned for more live your uh, life. inspirational. Just live your life. <laughs> yes, like just live your life. You literally cannot plan it, and I would never in a million years have found Matthew on the internet with what I thought I wanted out of another relationship. I would not have found Aaron either. I was like, I don't want to date any guy who works in advertising. I work in advertising. It, ugh, gross. All the guys who work in advertising are are not for me. If I would have gone according to like some arbitrary plan that was obviously created before I had experienced any of these things, like who knows where where I would be? And I would still be thinking like, oh, what if? Oh, what if? Well, you know what? Uh, good thing we don't have to ask ourselves what if because you did the damn thing. 
And the other thing, too, is like nothing that we are doing is permanent, right? So like you you start call your girlfriend. That's wonderful. Like at any point, like you you and Anne and, and Gina could be like, yeah, like we can stop. Like it's not as if this is now you have signed on to always have a small business, always. Like now you are small business people, period. That is it. You are never allowed to do anything else. So like there's there's all this pressure that something has to be everything to you and be everything to you forever. And like most of the things that we are doing are not that high stakes. Does that make sense? Like it makes so much I, sense. The, you can always lower the stakes for everything in life. You can. Like you can. It's like I when I started still kicking, I it was an LLC because that was the easiest form I could find on the internet. Then I gave the money away and my accountant was like, Oh, tax time, where's the money? And I was like, Oh, I gave it away. Like, do you even read? And that's not a good business. That's a nonprofit, idiot. So uh <laughs> Quick pivot. Um, Love it. Quick pivot and and a lot of money later, but we figured it out. Like, you can grow and change with the thing that you are doing, with your life. Like, life is growing and changing and not just waiting until you know everything to start something because then you will never do anything. Uh, what a what a note to end on. No Happy Endings is out uh, and even though I've read no other books that Nora has talked about today, I have read No Happy Endings, and it is delightful. Thank you. Oh, that means a lot to me. Oh, she's the best. See you on the internet, boo-boo. <laughs> See you on the internet. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download the show anywhere you listen to your faves or on Apple Podcasts, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. Our associate producer is Destry Maria Sibley. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. <laughs>